Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. 630 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings. Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A. On Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. is Oilers Now. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. Oilers Now, second hour of the show brought to you by Digitex. Don't spend your valuable time meeting with door-to-door sales reps. Your all-in-one convenient location is digitex.ca. Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. Brendan Escott, you saw Into the Wild, right? You saw that movie? Sure did. Did you ever read the book? I've by not John read the book. Crack- John Crackhour? No. Yeah, interesting book. Uh, I must have come across a hundred people like that in a past life and I've talked about that past life before and people uh, my friends have fun with me all the time and uh, so here's the deal this show's called Oilers Now uh, momentarily we're going to head off on a River Creek Resort Casino hotline uh, you can text us on our 630 630 uh, Heartland Ford text line Heartland Ford out in Fort Saskatchewan Alberta with over 10 million dollars in new and pre-owned inventory they're one of the largest volume Ford dealers in Alberta experience the difference of Heartland Ford on Fridays we try to have a little bit of fun uh, in the summer and do something a little bit different and we're going to do that right now so if you your deal is you want to listen to Oilers now and talk about the fourth line down on the American Hockey League uh, with Jay Woodcroft. Um, we're going to do that show, but that's at another time and another place. We're going to have Jay on sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but that ain't happening right now. Um, so some of you might think it's a little bit self-indulgent, but I'm going to bring a guy on who's done something that, frankly, I was thinking of doing a number of years ago. He's written what has become the definitive book about 
tree planting. True tales of a tree planting life. High baller. We bring to the show, uh, not surprisingly, out of uh, Vancouver Island, Greg Nolan. Hi, Greg. It's Bob Stoffer. How are you doing? Hi, Bob. How's it going, man? Oh, real good. Real good. So tell me this, uh, and, and just for our listeners, uh, since give give them a bit of a, an appreciation for for how long you were in the uh, civil culture industry for, when you uh, got good. when you got started, and what gave you the idea to come up and write the book. <laughs> well, it's been twenty seven years, all told. Uh, started in nineteen eighty three as a teenager. And uh, the stories have always been there. I've got this freakishly crazy good memory. (laughs) And uh, it just only recently occurred to me. I guess I was inspired by some friends out camping. They were talking about tree planting stories. And uh, I reflected a few and they they said, you know, you should should put those into words, put it into writing. and away you went. What's the what's the response been like? I know you've done a, a bunch of uh, you know interviews with CBC and things like that. You, you, you've certainly there, there's been some interest in the story, hasn't there been? There has been some interest for sure. I think it's it's quite topical. Uh, you know, this day and age of having uh, trying to replant our forests or at least catch up uh, with the harvesting process. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been pretty good. A lot of responses. I'm even getting some fan mail, which I never expected. I never get fan mail personally. <laughs> just, just just to let you go, I might get 600 to 800 texts per show. So here's the deal, uh, and and I guess the best way for me to put things in perspective regarding tree planting, I'll share a story with you. Uh, Gord Downey from the Tragically Hip was on our plane in 2009, so we're flying uh, to Calgary for a preseason game, and he's sitting next to Kevin Lowe, who uh, at that time was the president of uh, the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club, yeah. and uh, Gord and Kevin were involved in uh, Riverkeeper. Okay, and so Kevin said, "Bob, I want you to meet Gord Downey." I'm like, "Well, obviously, I know who Gord Downey is." So I, I, I start, I go up to uh, you know, sit next to him on the plane and have a conversation. And I go, Gord, I just want you to know this, that when I planted trees, we had kids from every part of Canada. We had kids from Quebec. Uh, we had kids from the B.C. interior. We had kids from northern B.C., Saskatchewan, Alberta. And uh, many of us had very different political views. Um, for the most part, we couldn't agree on everything. But the one thing we mm-hmm. could agree on was uh, everybody loved the Tragically Hip. And, and the most bizarre thing happened. Gord looked at me and said, my brother married a tree planter. And it was just and away we went, wow. right? And we had this connection over it. And, and I guess that's part of the deal is when you do a job like that, Greg, was it your experience that you really did meet a wide range of people? It wasn't the stereotypical hippie pothead that I think a lot of people uh, associate uh, th- that job with. A wide range, yeah. A melting pot. Uh, in the book, I describe one crew where we had several nuclear physicists to be on the crew couple of orthodontists, um, immigrants from El Salvador, um, guy that fought in Vietnam, saw action, uh, just just in a crazy melting pot of personalities. Is there a philosophical approach to life that comes from doing that, that type of job, do you think? Uh, what, do you- well, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I to be perfectly honest, I started in the industry because I saw an opportunity with my brother-in-law right and he was a tree planting contractor and i was just a kid out of high school i was looking for any excuse to avoid 
post-secondary education. And so I jumped on the crew, and, and my goal was just for adventure and money. And uh, and then I sort of got caught up in the lifestyle. That that uh, that happened pretty quickly. I got caught up real quick in the in, you know the whole culture, the subculture, if you will, of uh, of the scene. And uh, you know, 27 years later, I was running my own company. We're joined by Greg Nolan. He's written the book Highballer: True Tales from a Tree Planting Life. I had a lot of guys, uh, I worked for a company out of Edmonton called Suga Reforestation. Uh, you're well aware of who that is. Later, I, I worked for Coast Range. I think you worked for them as well at one time. I did. We had some highly competitive athletes with us. Like, we had some national team skiers that were tree planters. We had some hockey players. In fact, uh, I remember actually having doing an interview, Bob Bassett, who played for the New York Islanders and the Dallas oh, Stars. Yeah. He he worked uh, for a guy, George Conroy, who's brother's uh, brother with Al Conroy, who's a former uh, minor pro player, and Bob right. Basson used to take a six by six stick and plant literally within an inch in Alberta. You could do that in Alberta, not BC, but uh, that's how dedicated and disciplined he was. And he said he used it as an extended metaphor for what he needed to accomplish uh, later on to be an NHL player. Like that's how disciplined he had to be. So there were a lot of terrific athletes that were up there because you literally are, Greg. Correct me if I'm wrong here. It's like you're you're running a marathon every day, aren't you? More than a marathon. I mean, if if you're going to count calories, way more. How many yeah. trees a day would you end up planting? You know, it depended on the terrain. As you well know, there was there was uh, machine groomed terrain. It was good terrain where heavy machines would come in and churn up the uh, the soil, and it was easy to plant. But then you had untreated terrain, and then you had coastal terrain, which was steep large debris fields, boulders the size of houses. Uh, these debris fields would often shift. They're dangerous, a lot of his, hidden ha- hazards. Um, the numbers varied from, let's say, 2,500 trees per day in the interior to as little as 600 per day on the coast. Now, I, I just, after reading your book a couple of weeks ago, Greg, I reached back to the guy that uh, used to own the company that I worked for uh, in BC, in a company uh, called Silverado, Crawford and oh, yeah. Cam Young. They're from uh, Prince George, which is, as you what did you call Prince George, by the way? You call it the mecca of uh, the reforestation industry? We had a lot of different names for Prince George. <laughs> yeah, when, after a large, you know, long contract as we were heading in, it was it was a mecca for sure. Yeah, we, we called it the Big Pig. Uh, we yeah. called it a lot of different names, and you know, it depended on the uh, uh, time of day. There were a lot of uh, emissions in the air at that time too. Right, so. you could usually smell a town about two hours before you drove into it. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, Greg they called Nol- it the smell of money. Yes, the smell of money. Greg Nolan joining us. The book's called Highballer. Uh, it took me two years, Greg, to be a highballer, by the way. It, apparently, you, okay. you pulled that off in your rookie season. How competitive were guys in your camps? Well, there was a certain element of competitiveness uh, amongst the veteran planters, and they had already established their pecking order. This is my first season. Right. And I saw an opportunity. I, I had trained really hard for my first season. My brother-in-law, who was the contractor, thought I was some city flake. He didn't right. have a lot of uh, faith in me. In fact, he showed me the high, the direction of the highway the first day I, I arrived, thinking I was going to you know, just uh, back out the first couple days. But I uh, I leaned into it hard, and I think within 
two weeks, I had hit 2,000 trees for the first time. And that was the, the crew high that day. So I realized right then and there that, you know, if I could apply the same kind of momentum day after day, which wasn't easy, I could claim top spot. And that's what I did. Yeah. You mentioned a subculture. Yeah. Because uh, uh, Brendan Escott, who produces the show, we were talking about Into the Wild, and he said, well, was it a bit like that, you know, because there was a fair amount of nudity in Into the Wild and, you know, some drinking and obviously uh, drug use. Obviously, that came with the territory, didn't it? It sure did. Yeah, it was kind of like the Wild West in a lot of ways. Uh, there was no government oversight back then. Uh, there were very few authorities that were, you know, looking over our shoulder and being remote as we were very often we would have to either fly or barge into the setting or drive many hours on a on a logging road to uh to get there once we were there we set up a village and they were elaborate camps uh great camps with all the facilities you could possibly want but uh you know like the shower stalls didn't have individual separators in them um, yeah, it seemed like people were more comfortable with their clothes off and on. And, you know, during the late hours in the Quonset Hut, the main tent area where we all gathered to eat and, uh, you know, socialize, it, it could easily accommodate 80 people. It's where there was, uh, you know, a lot going on that would go on as soon as I left <laughs> at 10 o'clock. It seemed like the, uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to say, I don't, yeah, it, Things were getting crazy back then. Yeah, it was a different uh, a different lifestyle that I think some people would be a little bit uh, surprised with. Uh, how many of the people... Now, you worked uh, a little bit more on the coast, which was a little bit more year-round, but I, I know for like the group of guys that I went and, 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 and planted with, we all used it to afford to go to university, and in my case, mm-hmm. I used it to afford to do play-by-play of the U of A Golden Bears because I wasn't getting paid to do those games back then, and I wanted right. to cut my teeth. And But, how you know, when you've kept up in contact with with fellow planners, how many of them have discussed that they used it as a bridge to somewhere else moving forward? You know, I found a lot of uh, the people that I hung out with, uh, you know, closely after hours were were aimless. Um, there were those that, yeah, they did go to school. Um, but if you were to start out as a coastal planter, you generally started in January or February. Wow. Um, and then you would migrate to the interior. I, I went to the interior every year um, before I became a contractor. And that was, that was always an event. And once we hit the interior, we hooked up with the, the educated crowd, the school crowd. Yeah, that was, and, the, that was the group I tended to, to, to work mostly with. Greg, uh, sure. 1990, the Oilers won the, uh, the Stanley Cup, the fifth and final Stanley Cup. I, I saw Edmonton win the Cup in Wells, B.C. Uh, wow. So now you know where I was. Uh, but uh, that year, uh, and you mentioned in the book, uh, there was uh, you know a, an accident on the highway just past Fox Creek uh, that, that yeah. uh, took the life of seven planters. And there was four planters, and we drove over the bridge less than an hour earlier that washed out uh, in 1990 as well. It was, it was a tough year. Subsequent to that, there have been significant, because you've owned your own company, I would suggest significant safety standards that have changed the complexion of that industry? Yeah, for sure. Uh, mind you, my company specialized in coastal projects, uh, technical heli work. Right. So it was kind of a niche, and we were tucked away by ourselves 
even in modern times, we didn't have a lot of oversight either because we were considered a preferred contractor. Uh, we had a great safety record. Uh, my company, Rainforest, had the lowest WCB rates in the industry. So we were pretty much left alone. We didn't see a lot of the WCB audits that a lot of companies um, you know, witnessed. But um, I did run several projects close to towns like, let's say, Port Alberni, where you had to have a hard hat on and your safety glasses and your busy vest on the, on the cut block. Failure to do so meant uh, a fine or getting kicked off the project. Yeah. Was Alberta a little looser? Yeah, again, it was, uh, yeah, remote projects in Alberta, as you well know. And, uh, gosh, some of them required a 4 by 4 a Rolagon, a barge up the Athabasca River just to get to your camp. Yeah. And then ATVs, uh, they were on just to get to the, you know, the individual settings, the clear cuts. So you wrote uh, about 83 to 1990. You said you had a 27-year career. Is this uh, volume one of what could be two or three uh, volumes when you're all said and done? Yeah, that's volume one. That takes us up to the early 90s, 91 maybe. And I have at least one more large installment, uh, possibly two. A lot of craziness in the industry. There's just so many stories. Even in number one, I had to discard a, a great number of stories that uh, I should have left in. That should have been a 900-page book. Yeah. Uh, do you have to worry about being? <laughs> do you have to worry about being politically sensitive today? Given I do. Yeah, and I'm getting some some flack for that. Yeah. I I love rich characterizations, and if I'm describing uh, a female tree planter, uh, you know, I, I try to. Describe that person so that you get to know them. I do the same thing for men, too. I, yeah. I think I even mentioned, you know, one guy was handsome, tall, and lean. So, yeah, um, yeah you have to be careful. Uh, I, I had to edit myself quite often. Yeah. Greg, interesting stuff again. Uh, the book is called Highballer, True Tales from a Tree Planting Life. People have said I've talked about it way too much. Well, guess what? We just spent 15 minutes on it on our show. Thanks a lot for your time, Greg. Take care. Best of luck. Anytime, Bob. You bet. That is Greg Nolan out of uh, Victoria. Hey, it's a different world. And we, we had a lot of really good athletes uh, that were in our camps, and they were highly competitive individuals. Many of them, uh, Troy Dirtis was the captain of the Alberta Golden Bears, and he was a foreman with me in the late 1990s up in uh, Prince George. And uh, I mentioned Bob Basson going on and just the discipline that he showed. It's interesting that Greg sort of showed the, you know, the, the, the student groups that went and planted in northern Alberta, northern British Columbia, northeastern British Columbia, as opposed to the year-round guys that were based on the coast and the sort of different world. And you talk about being open-minded. Uh, these people, for the most part, were really open-minded. It was a different world. All right, uh, 123 at Edmonton. We'll get back to the fourth line on the American Hockey League when we return on the Oilers Now show. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 126 in Edmonton, Bob Stoffer, Brendan S. Scott with you. So none of your friends ever went up there and did it. No, but the they all, do, got, they all, they got all job- went up north to the oil patch. Yeah, because it was booming. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that industry was flat for a number of years, uh, and then it's picked up just in the last year or so, as opposed to the oil industry, which we're all praying picks up. By the way, Brendan, just I, I'm going to read you a text because it's pretty interesting. Uh, Craig says, Bob, tree planting on Vancouver Island was the toughest and hardest job I ever had. The truth is, I didn't last. Uh, but I was the last of the newbies to be let go. All the veterans came out of the bush uh, for the job, and then about half dozen of us newbies. It took us about an hour and a half to get to the job site. It was uh, it, it was trying to be a proficient planter and a mountain climber at the same time. And it is, Alberta companies were very loose in the rules. One thing I'd say is I could plant trees, but for all of you that work in the oil patch, direct, like, I couldn't work in a service rig. I could plant trees all day, but I could not work in a service rig. I didn't have the technical skills, not mechanically inclined or coordinated enough, but in terms of the repetitive motion. Another texter, uh, Coach Sheldon, says, good segment. Thanks, Bob. Uh, Mark, though, disagrees from St. Albert. Enough about that, Bob. So there's a range. Uh, Another texter's asking, what's the most you plant? You can plant, you know what, like in 16-cent ground, I could do 3,500 trees on a good day. It's around 500 bucks. So when you were going to university in the early 90s, that was good money. It was a real Now, not every day was like that. Uh, and the lifestyle was dependent upon you. But let's just say it was pretty open-minded. You know what I'm saying? Hence, you know, a centrist. Maybe social, liberally, and fiscally conservative. So uh, I would suggest a lot of the individuals that were up there were at least the the ones that were in our camps, which were more uh, May and June, and then uh, late July into early August type thing. So it was a good job. It was a good learning experience. And I think if uh, the one thing I really noticed, Brendan, was the proliferation of women. When we first started, the camps were not fifty fifty. In the end, uh, they were fifty fifty. And guess what? the girls were often tougher than the guys towards the end. They had a lot more jack. Like, they could pound away and uh, bring it. All right, uh, enough of that self-indulgence. Off to a global news weather traffic update uh, with Carrie McCarthy. We'll get things back on the rail. Eskimo conversation coming up, and uh, we're going to talk about Tom Rowe. Yep, still to come on Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.